0: I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. Our scripture reading for today is 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-5. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. The word of the Lord. In 2016, Barna Group, along with Covenant Eyes, which is a, a pornography uh, website, helps it creates blockers and filters for phones and computers, electronics, and so on and so forth. They commissioned a study of the United States and of various segments, demographics of the of the country, as it relates to pornography. And so, now remember, this is five years old. Okay, it's only gotten worse. So I want you to hear some of these statistics. Twice as many young people, ages 25 to 30, first viewed pornography before puberty than did the next generation, Generation X. Twice as many. More than one quarter of young adults first viewed it. So 27% before uh, the age of puberty. Teens and young adults have a cavalier attitude towards porn. This is one of the takeaways. Listen to this. When they talk about pornography with with friends, 90% of teens and 96% of young adults say when they do so, they either do it in a neutral, accepting, or encouraging way, 96%. Teens and young adults consider not recycling more immoral than viewing pornography. Less than one-third, 32%, say porn is usually or always wrong, compared to more than half, 56%, who say not recycling is usually or always wrong. Another takeaway is young adults are watching more porn and seeking it out more than any other generation. 26% of ages 18 to 24 view it weekly. 12% view it daily. I suspect that number is low. Nearly half of young adults say they come across porn at least once a week, even when they're not seeking it. Teenage girls and young women are significantly more likely to actively seek out porn than women over the age of 25. This is an explosion in terms of demographics in pornography, whether it be on computers, on television, this and that. When it comes to the general population, one-third of women report watching pornography at least monthly, 33%. And this is the thing. This is what I've understood with some research is that, sadly to say, the church is no different. The church's numbers are not significantly different than they are from the rest of the culture. So, we've got to be honest. When we're sitting here and we're thinking one third, that's a third of us, that's 33%. Two thirds of church going men, church going men, watch pornography. Only 13% of self identified Christian women have never watched pornography. 13%. Unless you think that I'm exempt. 21% 21% of youth pastors and 14% of pastors admit they currently struggle with porn. There was a book written many years ago, maybe not that many years ago, Every Man's Battle, and it was a bad it was a book about pornography, sexual immorality, but I hate to break it to you, there should be a book now called Every Person's Battle. We are inundated here in this country with what we see on TV, what we see on social media. What now is Elevate it as normal through music, through popular culture, and in schools. I mean, we see this every day. We hear another story about the desire to teach something that is not age-appropriate, or teaching something that is not coherent or not uh, um, does not align with biblical principles in schools. I mean, what do we do? I know I feel like sometimes just becoming Amish. Every once in a while I tell Lainey, I said, get your head covering out because we're about to detach from society at large and we're going to go find a compound somewhere where it's going to be me, you, and God and that's it. I mean, what do we do? What do we do? Do we escape the culture and leave? Do we engage the culture and be tainted by it? Because that happens too. We get in there and we try to be in the culture and not of it we end up becoming the culture. But to just simply remove ourselves from the situation, I think, is the wrong approach. It doesn't honor God. Because the problem is, is that we take the issue with us. This is the issue. No matter where we go, what we view, who we talk to, we always bring our temptations and our sin nature along for the ride. So for today, this morning, what I'd like to talk to you about is how the need for consuming pornography is an expression of a deeper underlying sin. Namely, idolatry. Idolatry in the pursuit of counterfeit, counterfeit intimacy. This is very important for us to understand. We have to get our minds wrapped around what it means when we think of pornography. How do we address it? How do we root it out of our lives? How do we avoid it? See, if we simply try to pluck these things out of our lives, we, we throw our phone away. I see a lot of young people walking around with flip phones today, more so than maybe ever. And it's not just because it's cool. I think that, you know, it's a throwback kind of thing, right? No, it's because there is a lack of access on these phones than what are available on a smartphone. If we simply take ourselves out of the culture and no longer go to the beach, no longer go to the pool, no longer go to the gym, no longer walk anywhere during the summer, if we no longer watch any sport event on TV, we will miss what is really happening. And that is the things around us that are being used by our own sin nature and by Satan to tempt us away from God, to worship something else other than the one true God. You see, and we'll talk about this today, about what it means to pluck things out of our life is only half of the equation. So it's one thing to say, I'm going to not engage in this behavior. It's a whole nother to say, I'm going to engage in something else. So for instance, rooting impurity out of our lives is not sufficient. We need to seek purity. Purity. We need to move into the realm of active, seeking after God's righteousness instead of just white-knuckling and saying, I'm not going to engage in this behavior. And many of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are white-knuckling right now. Some of you have told yourself that maybe this is as good as it gets. Maybe this is the thorn in my flesh. Maybe this is what I have been sort of... a. Maybe God did this to me. It's a lie, and I want you to know that there's hope. I want you to know that the true intimacy after which we seek is possible, but it's only possible through God-given means and through God's people. So while this morning's message was, just a, or this morning's verse was just a couple of verses from 1 Thessalonians 4, we're going to be drawing quite a bit on other places in Scripture and bringing it to bear on this topic, uh, pornography, this morning. So the first principle that we have to get, we have to understand, okay, is that we were not created to go our own way, to have our own pleasure, to do our own thing. We were created for holiness. We were created for holiness. This is what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. He says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, some translations have the word uh, your holiness. Okay? To understand the issue of pornography, we need to understand first what we were made for. So in other words, in order to understand the bad or the misintent, we need to understand the true intent. In the scripture, holiness has several very important aspects. We sometimes think of you know, behavior only. We think of the idea of acting differently and that being the mark of true holiness. But there are other issues and aspects, facets, of what it means to be holy. Most basically speaking, holiness means to be set apart for a special use. Set apart for a special use. So You have heard me use this illustration before. We have a big house with lots of people who are frequently in and out and we have all different kinds of plates and utensils that we use because really it's just whatever we can put food on that's what we serve with sometimes i'm relegated to eating with a little dessert fork like one about this big because there's 50 people there and everyone's eating off of something else uh, and when i said that and we talked about eating off paper plates and off of all these hot someone emailed me and said hey i have a whole set of china for you that you can have i have this it's beautiful you can come get it i want to give it to you to entertain and i realized that that china would not last our house would it lane that china would be destroyed in no time. But what we would end up doing is putting it in a cabinet and placing it there for everybody to see and using it very separately. In other words, we would be making that china holy unto us. Separate cut off from the rest of the plates that we use and for special use only. Now, do you realize that this is what you were made for? You were made by God to be special, separate, and holy for him. You're God's china. You're his special people. There's an idea of functional holiness that when we live, think, and feel according to our God-given design, we are fulfilling who we were supposed to be, and in that sense, we're holy. There's an idea of ethical holiness, behaving like God in righteousness and truth as we reflect his character to the world around us. There's a cultural holiness, sort of what I talked about When we began living apart from the world while we still are in it this isn't a word microsoft word did not want me to put this word in there but it's set-apartedness set-apartedness it's the idea of being separate it's the idea of while we go to the same places we might eat the same foods we might attend the same events we're still set apart from them and called to live differently You see, we were created to live a life that reflects God's character and his set-apartedness, while thinking, acting, and feeling in accordance with our God-given design. It's God's will that these aspects of our holiness would meet our personal and complete devotion to God. So in other words, we wouldn't just be like this some of the time. We get dressed up in our nice clothes for Sunday morning because this is what good people do. We sing praises, we pray, we do everything right, and then we leave on Monday and our life goes right back to the way it was. God wants nothing more than your absolute, complete devotion to him. And anything that gets in the way, it says our God is a jealous God. Anything that gets in the way of that relationship, of your complete devotion to him, God wants out. This is true in our sexuality as well. There's something, I guess you could call it as another facet, sexual holiness. You see, God invented sex in the beginning. In Genesis 2, it says that, and two shall become one flesh. Certainly, we talk about the union, the, the fact that a husband and a wife are a united front. But first and foremost, what is described here is the act of sexual union, becoming one flesh. A God invented, God given, perfect, beautiful design. That serves so many purposes in our lives, least of which is intimacy, uh, or not least of which is intimacy, pleasure, fellowship, communion, and children. Sex finds its perfect and intended expression when it's within the loving, perfect confines of marriage of one man and one woman. Sexual unholiness is anything that steps out of that protective, sort of righteous, God-given boundaries. When we live in sexual holiness, we view sex and our sexuality the way God sees them. Not as something separate or different, or mundane or earthly or dirty or unworthy, but the way God sees it. Now you might say, well, how do we how does he see that? How do I know if I'm not viewing sex the way God is viewing sex? Let me ask you this. I would say that during sex, when those of you who are married, during sex, have you ever thought about praying? And if you thought of praying, well, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Oh, I couldn't do that. Why not? God has invented this as something that's beautiful, intentional, for the purposes, for his good purpose. If we separate God-given sex as a gift from him, from how we view sex here on earth, there's a disparity that's going to cause us problems. We need to embrace the idea that sex is from God and that sex is good. As Christians, we should be the most sex-celebrating segment of the population in all the world. Our God invented this. We should be doing it right. And we should know how to not be doing it wrong whether or not that's expressed in sexual intercourse outside of marriage or in marriage, whether or not we, we own this. Our God did this and we should embrace that. We spend a lot of time talking about what we're against, don't we? And it seems like the culture brings it to us. What about this? No, we're against that. What about this? It's like Calvin knows he comes to me and I tell him no 50 times a day. I tell Lane, I said, I feel like the no guy. I used to be a yes man in the military. Now I'm a no man, now that I'm a dad. All I say is no all the time. That's how people view Christianity at times. It's a no religion. Why don't we view sex differently and view the idea of sex and what it was intended for as something to be celebrating, as something to be excited about, as something that we should elevate and say, this is awesome because God gave it to us. In other words we should be pro sex wherever we can be. The problem is is when we switch the gift and the giver. I mean imagine giving this beautiful gift to one of your kids. You spent all year you saved all year for it. They've been asking for it all year. You've played a good game. They know that you they think you're not getting it, <laughs> but you're getting it. You wrap it. Think about what you're thinking about as you oh, he's going to love this. He's going to love this gift. Then come Christmas morning, we present the gift. They open the gift and play with the box. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about because it's all happened to us, those of us who have children. Instead of playing with the gift in the box and saying thank you for this gift, it becomes everything. It becomes everything to them. This is what we have done with sex. And our pursuit of holiness and total devotion to God in his, is his design. Let me rephrase that. Our pursuit Of holiness and total devotion to God is his design for our lives. Not to be focused on the gift, but on the giver. Yet because of our sin, our hearts seek our satisfaction anywhere else we can find it. Anywhere else. This is the case with pornography as well. Yet pornography is not the actual issue. And this is really the essence of what I want to talk to you about today. Pornography is not the issue well, we need to peel away the layers of our sinful hearts and find the core driving force in order to find lasting healing. So this is what we need to know. The second principle for this morning is consuming pornography is sexual immorality. There's a broader term. There's a broader thing going on here. There's something deeper that's happening within our hearts. This is what Paul says. He says, this is your will, your holy, God's will, your holiness, that you abstain from sexual immorality that each of you know how to control his body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God." The Greek word here for sexual immorality is porneia. porneia. Okay. Some translations use the word fornication. It's this broad word that covers many different behaviors. It's not just when we read porneia, we shouldn't just think or see porn when we read it. We should be looking at everything that falls outside of God's boundaries, of outside of God's perfect will as it relates sex. so Sinful behaviors, thoughts, and attitudes, lust, adultery, homosexual acts, premarital sex, pornography, prostitution, and we will make things up to fit into this category. Because the issue is here. The issue is here. When When it comes to pornography, we need to ask ourselves exactly what is it and what am I Looking for, so to speak. You know, there was a famous uh, Supreme Court justice who said, I don't know how to dis- define pornography, but I know it when I see it. It's kind of a joke, because the implicit idea is that he actually was looking at pornography, but it's a valid question. How do you define it? People have struggled to identify or to define exactly what pornography is, and that's for a reason. It's not just simply pictures or videos of a sexual nature. Harvestusa.org says, defines it like this, anything the heart uses to find sexual expression outside of God's intended design for relational intimacy. It is anything that tempts or corrupts the human heart into desiring sexual pleasure in sinful ways. Now, for you young people here, you have no idea what a JCPenney catalog is. (laughs) But let me tell you, when I was a young man, 10, 12 years old, JCPenney catalog came, there was a certain section that I was going to immediately upon getting that catalog. My mother was looking at appliances and dresses and things for the home. You guys, you men know what I'm talking about. There was one section in that catalog, lingerie. That was the section that I went to. Now, today we would not call a JCPenney catalog pornography, would we? What is considered pornography has been so skewed Now, and so many things are deemed acceptable that we willingly and unknowingly just walk into these things, not realizing that this is the issue. This is the issue. Pornography, then, is anything that tempts us to illegitimate or sinful sexual desire within us. Sinful sexual desire within us. I have a friend who, um, for his ministry, he works with men who are addicted to pornography. And uh, so we have these discussions all the time uh, about this stuff. And and he's from the north side of Chicago, near an area that's um, very diverse, but there's also a lot of uh, Muslims there. And one of the things that he tell me in a conversation, he's like, you know, there are sometimes women who walk by our house, walking down the street, who are covered head to toe in in cloth. And the only thing visible, maybe, at best, is their eyes. It's one slit. He says, you know what I think? I wonder what she looks like under there. No amount of obstacle is going to prevent our sinful heart from being sinful. We need to address what is actually happening in our heart instead of focusing on the things that are happening on the outside. This is a primarily heart issue. And Jesus said this as well. He says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. God already calls us sinning. He says we are sinning when we simply think a lustful thought in our heart, let alone doing it. Jesus places everything at the heart level, and we do too, if we are going to address sexual immorality and pornography in our lives. He says it also in Mark 7. He says this, from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, words pornēa." Then he goes on, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. It's the heart issue. It's the heart issue. You see, we must treat our bodies with respect and dignity as God-given tools that were means to glorify God. They're simply, I'll say that differently, our bodies are simply a gift from God is the bottom line. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Now listen to what he says next. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you from God? You are not your own. You were bought with the price, so glorify God in your body. The truth is, is our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You see, we were made for intimacy and relationship with God. This is something we were talking about in our staff meeting on Tuesday, and I thought, this is something we need to understand. If you read the Genesis account of creation, you see God creating something big first, okay? And then the next layer on days two, he creates something smaller. Day three, something yet. Then he populates it. So it's as if God is setting the stage for his final and ultimate creation, a human, The purpose of creating this stage was to place the human in so that God might commune with him, that God would have fellowship and intimacy with humanity in this place. If we look further in the Old Testament, it says that God ordered the Jews to create a tabernacle, a tent in the middle of the desert where he would commune with them and find true intimacy. Then it moved to a temple that was built by Solomon. In the New Testament, it says that Jesus Christ came and tabernacled with us. Jesus Christ came here for intimacy, to dwell with us. And now Paul says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the dwelling place now where God comes to dwell and commune with us. When we sin sexually, we sin against our own bodies and we wreck the temple. I want you to think about this. If someone told you, guess what? Jesus is coming to your house tonight. Jesus is coming to your house tonight. What would you do to your house before he came? What would you do? I know what I would do is I would get rid of all the clutter. I would sweep everything up. I would want it to be as clean as possible because the honor of God himself coming to dwell with me is something that I would, that, that I would want to make sure that I honored him in return. right? us being temples of the holy spirit means that when god comes and dwells with us we need to make sure that we've done our part according to god's give, god's given means that our house is swept clean not perfect honoring to him do you ever wonder why you have such a hard time having intimacy with god why do i not feel god why when i pray does it not feel like he's there cuz the house of your heart's full of all kinds of clutter I mean, imagine Jesus coming into my house and talking to me, and while we're talking, there's a pornographic picture on the wall. What kind of shame and distraction might that bring from my interaction, the time that I want to spend with Jesus, but this is here, glaring? We find the same thing happening in our own lives. What if our house were filled with trash and sinful things? Is it a place that God would want to come? Is it a place where God should come? Is it a place that we would want God to come? Third principle, sexual immorality is sexual idolatry. So we moved from pornography, which is immorality. Now we're at a core issue, idolatry. Colossians 3.5 says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, that word again, pornea, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, man, that sounds like pornography right there, doesn't it? And what does Paul say, which is idolatry? It's idolatry. The lust that energizes our sexual immorality is in the end the worship of another god. It is idolatry. It's idolatry. So much so that in the Greek Old Testament, in several places, the word porneia, sexual immorality, is used to describe adultery of, of God's people with other gods. Basically, Jews left God, cheated on God, went with another God, porneia is the word that's used in the Greek Old Testament. As we talked about, God created sex as a gift to be shared, but when we misuse what God has created as special, we end up worshiping the creature instead of the creator. Now, many of you know the story of the golden calf in the book of Exodus. God leads the Jews out of Egypt. Moses goes to commune with God on a mountain, and suddenly God says, you know what? My people have gone crazy. I want to destroy them. Moses said, what happened? They built a golden calf. They built a golden calf, and they began worshiping that calf as the god who actually pulled them out of Egypt. Now, why a calf? It could have been anything, right? It could have been any object, but what about the calf? What about the bull? In ancient Near Eastern cultures, and certainly in Canaanite culture, the bull was a a symbol of Baal. Baal was an Old Testament god whose role was fertility. Fertility. Then immediately after the issue that they're worshiping the golden calf, it says, and the people rose up to play. That's a euphemism. They all began to have sex with one another. So the sexual immorality displayed during that time is an indication of something else happening, idolatry, idolatry. And we see it today in our struggles with porn. We see it today in this culture that is absolutely obsessed with sex. When we're tempted to look, we should not be telling ourselves we shouldn't look at porn. This is bad. We can't do that. We need to couch it in its core issue and say, this is idolatry. My heart is seeking to worship something or someone other than God. Until we get to that core issue, we're not going to be able to address what is actually happening in our heart. Because sexual immorality is really an expression of idolatry, this is a spiritual issue, not a behavioral one. So this is our fourth and final point sexual idolatry must be addressed spiritually spiritually Paul when talking about the way we fight in our faith says this for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power it's God's power to destroy strongholds maybe pornography or some habitual sin of a sexual nature is a stronghold in your life I know what that feels like I've been addicted to pornography before when I say I'm an addict, I'm not just talking about my drugs and alcohol. I know that the addiction to pornography is every bit as strong as my addiction to heroin. So when we tell ourselves, I should just stop, and then we get pulled back in and we fail again, or someone else says, why don't you just, I don't understand why you do this, just stop. I want those of you who to say that, and those of you who have been told that, to recognize that this is a real addiction that's happening in your heart and in your body. In order to break this addiction, it has to be addressed with God's given means for overcoming our sin. We talked a little bit about that two weeks ago. Maybe it feels like you have tried everything and you fall again and again into sinful patterns. Like I said, well, this is as good as it gets. This is my thorn in the flesh, or this is, maybe it's just my cross to bear. This is my cross to bear. But we need to understand, and this is what is true here about our sexual idolatry, our pornography, is the same for every other sin in our life. We cannot simply abstain from a habitual sin, sexuality and pornography included. Abstention, abstinence, is only halfway to where we need to be. Only halfway to where we need to be. Now it's true that our behavior should reflect the character of God. So we have a responsibility to act differently. But we must move from the realm of negative behaviors to positive action. So I want you to think about it like this. A spectrum. Okay. And this is zero right here. We're going to say zero and now there's negatives going this way. This is sin. We're living in sin. You name the sin. Today we're talking about pornography or sexual morality. It doesn't matter what it is. We live here. And many times we tell ourselves, or the church tells us, we need to stop sinning, which gets us to right here. This is not adequate. This is not adequate, because when we fall, when we're tempted, which we inevitably will, because of our sin nature, we fall right back into our sin. What we need to seek is to move towards positive action in our life. Instead of abstaining from sexual immorality of impurity, we need to seek purity. We need to be on this side of the spectrum in our life, and this comes through a repentant heart and an intentional approach to the way we live. We live here. So when we fall, when we have a setback, we still don't sin. We come back to zero. We come back to zero. This is a basic fundamental idea that we have to get in our hearts. We have to understand. It's a biblical concept. We talk about it in the taking off of the old man and putting on the new man. It's not enough to simply don't do the bad behavior. We must begin doing new behaviors. If you remember, Paul says, let the thief no longer steal. And then he goes on to say, but let him work honestly, that he might have something to share with those in need. That's moving from the negative realm to the positive realm. This is what it means to actually live the Christian life, not just always being a no person. Sin, sin, sin righteous acts righteous deeds trusting the lord being over here we need to live on this side of the spectrum like i said i know the struggle and futility of trying to simply fight sexual temptations without applying the tools that god has intended us to use so i want you to see and paul says this the weapons of the flesh will not work here's some weapons of the flesh in case you're wondering human will i will not do this How many of you have told yourself, I will not do something, regardless if it's a sin or not, and did it anyway? Well, you're in good company because Paul did it all the time. He says it in Romans 7. He intended to do something. He knew it was the right thing. He didn't do it. He wanted to. He knew it was important. Yet he could not, with any type of consistency, continue to honor God and do what he wanted to do, do the right thing. Here, I'll give you some more weapons of the flesh. Internet filters. I am not saying that they don't work. Or uh, pornography blockers on your phone. If they work for you, I'd encourage you to use them, okay? But them on their own are insufficient. I'll explain to you why. There is a situation, in, or there is a word that I like to use called snacking. snacking. Snacking means that you are on the internet or the TV and you're looking at things that are technically not wrong and they're probably okay and you're just consuming a little bit here and there, right? So, I don't know what snacking might be. Maybe I'm watching a soccer game, Women's World Cup, and I say, oh, that forward, she's a really pretty woman. I wonder what she looks like in other pictures. So, I type in Norway's forward soccer team, images. There's nothing unwholesome in those images. It's her playing soccer. The unwholesomeness is here. The unwholesomeness is here. So any obstacle that we place between us and our sexual sin is forgetting the the truth that our sexual sin begins here. It needs to be adjusted here. It needs to be addressed here. Here's another one, new hobbies. Oh, man, I'm struggling with this addiction, whatever, what it is. I'm going to start, I'm going to go golfing instead, okay? Meanwhile, the lady in the, you know, the clubhouse. Or I'm going to get a new job. The UPS driver, he's such a hunk. Not focusing on the issue, we bring our problems with us. New relationships. I'm struggling with lust. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a girlfriend. Or I'm going to get married. Let me be the first one to tell you kids, young people, listen to this. Singles, listen to this. Getting married does not address your lust issue. It does not. You think if I could just be married and have sex with my husband or wife, everything's going to be okay. Wrong that's wrong. So sort of preparation, setting expectations about what's going to happen when you get married. It's the truth because we're bringing this with us. It's not just the marriage. Accountability partners. Simply having someone who will interrogate you regarding your pornography use or your sexual immorality is insufficient because this is what it does. If your heart is not in it, if you're not repentant, it's going to make you a better liar and a sneakier sinner. This is the truth. This is the issue. We need to address this issue. So the first order of business in addressing this is repentance. Repentance. It's being sorry and grieved for your sin, saying, Lord, you're right and I'm wrong. And having a changed mind, what I'm doing is wrong. It's wrong. David, after he cheats with Bathsheba, kills Uriah, all he says to God is against you and only you have I sinned. That's a heart of repentance that says, Lord, I hate that I did this to you because it mars who you are in my heart. I worship something else, someone else. It's there. How many of us who have kids have said the phrase something like this? You're just sorry for the consequences. You're not really sorry for what you did. You're just sorry you got caught. Or so, I got told that a thousand times growing up. A thousand times. The same holds true in our Christian walk. If we are sinning and we continue to have consequences as a result of our sin and we hate the consequences, we're missing the point. I'm a to keep looking at pornography. My wife says she's going to leave me. My kids have lost respect. I can't think straight because my mind's always over here. It's bleeding over into my job because I'm looking at things I shouldn't look at. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to get clean. I'm going to no longer look at this. Well, that's the wrong approach. We need to get in our heads that this is a sin against God, and until we address it in that manner first, we're always going to fall short. 2 Corinthians 7 says, For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation. Godly grief, grief that I've injured the Lord, grief that that I have sinned against him. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Being sorry for consequences will not get you clean, will not address your addiction, will not have you live a righteous life once we've repented we need to confess we need to get honest this is the phrase i don't know if it's appropriate during this message on sexual immorality but we need to get butt naked honest okay this means we are not putting any clothes between the truth of what's really happening and what we're telling ourselves god and other human beings no masks no masks we need to be so brutally honest with what is actually happening in our hearts that sometimes other people will say, man, that's too much information, TMI. We need to be honest. We need to be honest. Now, there's a time to do this and a way to do this. People you trust, appropriate venues, so on and so forth. I remember one time I was just uh, here for maybe a month or two. I was very new to the church. One of our deacons was up here. He said, Adam, how you doing this morning? I said, I really feel like using heroin today. He didn't know what to say. The truth is it was like a gotcha statement. But I think the desire, I recognize so deeply the desire to just be honest, to just get it out as an essential element of what it means to walk with humility before others and before the Lord. We have to get honest. Not just about this, about everything. About everything. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We're lying to ourselves and to others if we say that we're not struggling and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, though, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, it's more than just a forgiveness element when we confess. He not only forgives us, but he cleanses us from unrighteousness. He changes us through our confession to him and to those around us. Once we've been honest We need to flee flee sexual temptation that means run run we don't fight sexual temptation we don't fight it we run from it a couple of months ago we went to miami we went to the beach oh my gosh i just want to go enjoy some sun instead inundated inundated so while we're at the beach and all of my family's looking towards the water, I flip my chair around and I'm looking at the shoreline because I had no business looking at the ocean. It was more important to me to not be looking in that direction than to get to see a, a body of water. It's looking at the wrong bodies. We flee from sexual temptation. Avoid situations that are likely to attempt you. The beach, the gym, avoid behaviors that are technically okay but are likely to create sinful arousal or normalization of umbilical sexuality. Create obstacles where possible, but don't think that they're going to save you on their own. It starts here. Don't make it easy on yourself. Err on the side of caution. And who cares what anybody else says? Embarrassment is, keeps us in sin. Do you realize that? The embarrassment of having to tell people why we're doing something or what keeps us in sinful patterns. Let me say it like this. You can't save your butt and your face at the same time. Okay. If you are really struggling with sin, then who cares what anybody else says? You need to do what the Lord is asking you to do. Bottom line, run. Don't fight. Run, because you're not strong enough. (laughs) You're not strong enough. We need relationship. You see, we were made for intimacy. So we need to lean into spending time with God and finding that intimacy in places that are legitimate instead of counterfeit intimacy. We lean into prayer. In reading God's word, meditation scripturally. This is the only thing that can break through all of the wounds that motivate our actions and and why we do the things that we do. In other words, we need to fall in love with God. If we fall in love with God, we will fall out of love with the other things in our lives. Thomas Chalmers, born 1780, wrote a sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. When we love something more than something else, we run to it. So if we love Jesus more than we love our sin, we will run to Jesus. If we have all of this, this garbage in us that we want out, we need Jesus to come in and sweep things. When we get what we need, we reject what we don't. We need to be in relationship with others. Many of you guys walk around with things that you have never shared with another soul on this planet. Things I know eat away at you. Things I am positive influence be your behavior, your thoughts, and your attitudes. Yeah, we carry these things around because we're ashamed and we don't want to share what's going on. But in my experience, when I've shared some of the most tender, sensitive, embarrassing, or sometimes even sinful things that I've done in order to get perspective on it, the person that I share it with says, oh yeah, I've done that. Or I know what you're feeling because I've struggled that way too. Can you imagine coming to a church That when you walk in it's like people know you you they know what you're struggling with and they can love you in a way that is best for your situation at this time they can encourage you instead of just saying well keep trusting God which is true that's I mean that's 100% true what about if someone came in and said you know what I know you're struggling with I don't know anything I know you struggle with self-righteousness just keep trusting in the Lord I know you're struggling with this addiction. Keep looking to Jesus. He wants to heal you. Could you imagine coming to a church like that where it feels like you're falling into the arms of a hug? I don't know, some of you aren't huggers. maybe, (laughs) But I know I do. When I come on Sunday morning, you're my family. This is my family. Finally, we need to worship. This is not just Sunday morning. This is a life that is typified by complete submission to God. This is what I talked about, not living just in impurity, but seeking purity. It's waking up in the morning and saying, Lord, whatever you want. This morning I woke up, the first thing I did, very first, it was shameful, but I'll admit it. I rolled over in bed, got my phone immediately. My left eye wasn't even open the rest of the way. It was just like I woke out of a dead sleep, get my phone. What about if I was so excited to spend time with the Lord, to worship him with my life, to lay down everything and anything that's in my life in order to be wholly and totally devoted and submitted to him? That's a life of worship. This whole summer we're going to talk about everyday worship, taking worship out of what happens in this room and making it come from here and out there. How do we do our dishes and worship? How do we discipline our children worshipfully? How do we deal with fears and anger and a worshipful attitude? Worship is about not only expressing our praise and thanks and and glory to God, but it's denying what we really want. It's saying, God, you are more important than my desires. This is rejecting the fear that propels us forward and trusting our good God to give us what we need when we need it because it's good for us. So in conclusion, We need to know how to flee this pervasive sin of our age. I can tell you it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. The answer is not, I believe, it's Adam speaking. The answer is not necessarily political machinations. The answer is not justifiable anger. The answer is not withdrawing yourself from the society. The answer is looking at your own heart and bringing people to their heart, showing them what's actually happening and helping them deal with it in God-honoring ways because we were created for holiness. Consuming pornography is a deeper issue. It's sexual immorality, which is a deeper issue yet, which is idolatry. And because sexual idolatry is a spiritual issue, we must address our hearts spiritually. Don't you want that? Don't you want that? Don't you want to have an unhindered relationship with God and others? I don't know about you, but sometimes I've had conversations with people and they do they know? They looked at me funny. Do they know? Walking around wondering if people know the secret or the struggle. Don't you want to sit in the presence of your Creator, fulfilled and joyous, and put all of those things down? knowing that you are living the best life, the Christian life that God intended for you, not perfect, sold out to him, sold just everything put down. Don't you want to shed the shame of sexual obsession that plagues this culture in so many of us? Then flee sexual immorality. Run to God and look at your heart. Let's pray. father we confess that we uh, even your children are wayward we look at the wrong things we value the wrong things we exalt the wrong things we worship different gods we lord we 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 exalt our need for pleasure over your desire for us your holy purpose for our lives I pray Lord for those who are struggling in this area that they would have their hearts open to them Lord that they would be able to see what's motivating them that you would reveal to them what's actually happening. I pray for the loved ones Lord of of those who are struggling with this sin Lord that you would give them uh, the grace to help their loved one well and to examine their own hearts and their own situation and their own struggles. And Lord I pray for our young people that they would be honest about what's going on. Lord, give parents the grace and the courage to have difficult conversations with their young people, their kids. Lord, Lord, work in them to say the right thing and to be the type of parents that children have no problem speaking about these things with. I pray, Lord, that you would use this situation, this, this difficult issue that we deal with in our lives and our own hearts, as the impetus for a closer relationship with you, and families i pray lord that you would make grace a place of healing that people would not be afraid but they would come to the light they would come in truth and we would all glorify you with our bodies our hearts our minds and our souls we pray these things in jesus name amen